Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. War Report family, it's your boy Mike G here with my guy Ike Jones. We got a special guest for you guys today. Auburn linebacker from 2001 to 2005. 2004 member of the undefeated team, Antarius Williams. Antarius, thanks for joining us, man. Man, thanks for having me, brother. Glad to be here. All right, AT, listen, we're really happy to have you here today uh, to talk a little bit about linebackers. Now, you're yes, our sir. first linebacker interview. Um, and, you know, you came in in 2001 in my class, and you came in behind some some really good linebackers in Auburn history. And, you know, a theme on our show is development. So I, I was hoping you would talk to us a little bit today about what it was like to come up behind those guys and then start for an undefeated team. Um, if I remember correctly, you played behind Mark Brown, yes. Carlos Dansby, Dontarius Thomas, uh, some good guys. Can you talk about what it was like uh, learning from that level of talent? So Yeah, so I think it all started really, man, with the linebacker coach we had at the time, Joe Witt Jr. I mean, or Joe Witt, should I say. He set the tone, and number one. You know, we had very talented linebackers. You had DT, Mark Brown, Carlos Dansby, all NFL linebackers. And I think, you know, they set the tone. They set the mentality very on. When I was a young buck coming into the university, I knew that, hey, I had big shoes to fill every day. And so I really looked up to them, and I think that Coach Witt really, really set that tone really early. You know, it was good times down there uh, on the plains during that period of time. But talk to me a little bit more about just uh, the mentorship that you had from from those older guys, even the coaching staff. But like, what were the things that they did to help you transition to being ready to feel like you were ready to take on SEC play as a starting linebacker? Well, first, I think it, it really just started with accountability. I mean, I know Coach Witt was big on accountability. When I, For me, when I played the weak side linebacker position, number one, I had to study the offenses that we were going to play against, understand their strengths, their weaknesses. How can I attack them and being accountable for my own particular role that I'm playing on defense? I just remember being in, you know, being in the huddle or being in a game, and if a running back broke for, let's say, 10 yards, the front seven, all four linemen and the linebackers, the three of us, we knew – exactly who fault it was because we all looked at each other and huddled and said hey man that was you were you in the b-gap like you were supposed to be and then it was just that accountability where you know even my defensive line would say hey that's my job i mean that's my fault you know i should have been here i got reached or i got caught and i shouldn't have been there and i think that's what kind of helped mold us to just be accountable to each other every day okay so while we're on the subject of accountability i want to talk a little bit about brotherhood right um you know uh you were tight with travis uh, you know, yeah. and, and, and I believe it was Karibi DD that was playing in there with you guys. And, and, and you guys were really 
in my book, an underrated group of linebackers. Can you talk about how your relationships off the field translated to on the field success? Well, you know, they are my brothers and it's, it's so funny. I'm the only one that's not coaching now, but, you know, Kariba Didi is now a linebacker coach. And I think he's in Colorado State right now. Travis, as you guys, you know, know he's down at UCF right now. So I think it was just a brotherhood. And I always tell people, you know, when we play linebacker, personally, I didn't know I was undersized until I tried to go to the NFL. You know, so when it came down to me, I knew that I had a job to do every day, you know, playing on the field. It didn't matter how big I was. I just had to get that job done. And like I say, we didn't really worry about size at all. We didn't really look at it that way. So, A.T., in in your uh, previous answer to my last question and a little bit in this one, you talked a little bit about one of my my favorite things, which is watching film. Like I love uh, going in and trying to break down film. Um, But just talk to me a little bit about some of that preparation that was necessary for you. Like what kind of things were you all doing to make sure that you had, you know, the responsibilities uh, laid out? Because you you said when you got back to the huddle, you guys knew exactly whose responsibility it was to be in a particular gap. Uh, So talk to me a little bit about how you were getting prepared to be in that space, especially considering you said you were undersized. Right. So you had to make sure you, you, you know, were there a little bit faster than everybody else. So talk to me about that preparation that was necessary. Well, you know, to answer that question, I think it all starts on being your own. We needed from the defensive front, the front seven, we all need to be seven defensive coordinators, so to speak. We needed to know exactly what the offense was trying to do with us. I would know from a film looking down to, you know, where the fullback aligns, to what plays the offense is run based off of the fullback alignment. Is he is the fullback behind the quarterback? Is the fullback, you know, on the weak side, strong side? You know, linemen, reading linemen's hands, how much weight are on their fingers, on their hands, the formations, thinking about motion. All that plays into the fact of what plays different offensive coordinators like to run. And you really had to know that before the game. And I always tell people now, being an undersized linebacker, I didn't need Coach Chizik to call a blitz. I blitzed every play because everywhere I went was fast. I'm like, I got to go. If I stay here and wait, I'm going to get hit and get knocked 10 yards down the field the opposite direction. So every play for me, what I would like to say was a blitz. I had to go somewhere fast. But before you can go anywhere fast, you got to know what they're trying to hit you with and how the offense is trying to attack you. So we just knew. We knew where we needed to be based on what they were doing. Okay, so playing fast, uh, coming going with that theme, and how quickly you process the game. Right, it is is going to be important. Now we have a new defensive corner down coordinator down on the plains, Derek Mason, um, and a lot of these guys are going to be going from a four three to a three four. Now you came in under one defensive coordinator, and then Chizik came in, and you guys, you know, maybe were asked to do some different things. Can you talk a little bit about how a player gets mentally adjusted going from one defensive scheme to another, and what things can they do to continue to play fast in a new system? Well, you know, I think one of the challenges that we're going to have converting over to a 3-4 is you got to have big defensive ends. You got to have big guys that can shed blockers. You got to have linebackers that can be two-gap players. I think one of the challenges we had last year being in a 4-3 defense, we didn't have pass rushers. I remember when when I was there and we played in a 4-3 defense, we, we had some of the baddest pressure. You, nobody wanted to see Quentin Groves and Stanley McClover coming off the edge. These guys were 4-5. Four, four, Quentin Groves is like a 4-3 on a good day. I mean, 4-3-8 from a speed standpoint. So you got to have pass rushes to run a 4-3. So I think, from my opinion, that was one of the challenges that we had this year. We didn't have a legitimate shot at, at getting a, a rush on on you know on the opposing deep, uh, offenses at the time. So now we're going to transition to that 3-4. So now I got to ask, okay, 
it's going to be a challenge because now we have linebackers that are small. We got four, three linebackers and we're trying to convert to a, a three, four defense, which is going to be a little bit of a challenge too. And it's going to take some time. So I think that's where recruiting is going to be really big and trying to see what Coach Harson is able to do moving forward with the defense. Thank you for listening to the War Report podcast. You can support us by visiting our merchandise store. You can find links to the merchandise store on Facebook and the About section on our YouTube channel. If you would like access to more premium content, visit us on YouTube and click join to become an insider. War Eagle, and now back to more of the show. Now, I like what you said about just understanding the difference in the types of personnel that you're going to need for different types of schemes, right? Um, so when you were making that transition um, from high school over into college, like what were some of the things that you felt like you needed to get better at in your game um, to allow you to play at the next level, to allow you to be uh, ready to, to, to get in there for that starting duty? You talked a little bit about the mentorship from the other guys. But what are the things that, that helped you to kind of make that transition to be an SEC caliber linebacker? I think, number one, it always starts with toughness. I mean, you got to in order to compete in the SEC, you got to be mentally tough, you know, physically tough. And also just speed. So for me, it was just adjusting to the speed of the game. When I was signed in 2001, I was really signed as we had a, we basically ran a 5-2 defense. It was a rover and whip type of system with John Lovett. And I was assigned to be a rover, which is totally different. And in high school, to answer your question, I was a defensive end in high school. Didn't know I was undersized playing high school defensive end either. But, you know, one of the things my coach told me in high school, we're going to sit you on the line of scrimmage. Nobody gets outside of you and they run away from you. You just run it down every time. And that's what I did. <laughs> you know, it was just all about competing. You know, I never knew, like I said, never knew I was an undersized type of player. But I think for Auburn to really get back to that next level, I think you got to have all the players on the defense having that type of mentality. I think that Travis did a really good job in, in having some dogs in the linebackers from that standpoint. But I think from a personnel standpoint, we got to really be able to you know, get that from the defensive line as well as in, in the secondary as well. Okay, so going from a 4-3 to the 3-4, can you talk to us a little bit about how the linebacker's responsibility may be different? How is running up and filling the run gaps going to be different? How, uh, you know, how is it going to be different for them dropping back in coverage? What are the, what are the big differences you're going to see in how they're going to be asked to stop the run and, and cover the pass in a 3-4? Well, I think, you know, from a, passing cover standpoint it's going to be a lot of the same from what we previously had the, I think the challenge is going to be running you know how we're going to stop the run and, and when you from a linebacker standpoint you can't I can't play linebacker in a I wasn't big enough to play in a 3-4 to be honest I mean because when you think about middle linebackers in a 3-4 these guys got to be built like the Mark Browns of the world they got to be 6-2 240 pounds if you look at Alabama if you look at their outside linebackers in a 3-4 defense. These guys are 6'5", 240, 250. So you really got to get some bigger guys in those positions. And the reason that they got to be bigger because you got to play what they call a two-gap type of thing. So if a lineman comes up on you, can you throw the lineman off to the left or to the right to get and, and cover multiple gaps? And I think that's going to be a challenge, you know, as we continue to build the personnel with on our team and get the right recruits and the right players on, on, on campus to be able to play those multiple positions or those multiple roles. Um, I think, and to ask to your question too, 
with our defense back in the day, we we didn't I didn't play a whole lot of two gaps. It was it was hey at you know if they're running to you the the fullbacks coming to you the B gap bubble you take on the fullback you turn the ball back inside the Mike linebacker who was Travis at the time Travis had to come over the top of the guard and make that play. And so I think it's just it's just a different type of defense to run. I think our defense was 100% more a disciplined defense where that we knew, like I mentioned before, like we're coming to the huddle and we knew who made the mistake. I think sometimes when you get over into a 3-4, it's some, you know, wishy-washy. Yeah, it could have been him or it could have been them and who was responsible of making that particular play. So I think it's just a little bit different. That's interesting. I, I just knew Mike was going to ask this question after you said something about being underside. I thought we were going to get into strength and conditioning necessary, but we'll talk about it now since you said, you know, yeah. um, f- figuring out how to shed blocks and all that kind of thing. But let's talk about what uh, the, the strength and conditioning program was like when you were at Auburn. Like, what were some of the things? Because you said you came in undersized. How were they yeah. trying to make sure that you were playing at the right weight, the right size, the right strength to be able to go out there? So I think that's a great question. And so, you know, my strength and conditioning guy was Coach Jocks. And if anybody heard about Coach Jocks, he's the reason I get accused now of being ex-military. If you look at my face, you look at how I act, it's because I've been through Jocks' system for five years. He had a certain level of accountability. I remember one time as a freshman, you know, we were at a bowl game and we were playing in Atlanta at the Chick-fil-A Bowl. And I was with some of my signing class, Carnell Williams, Travis, several other guys. But anyway, it was some guys that were starters and some guys that were not. And we were late to a meeting for whatever reason may be. When we got back to Auburn that next week, all five of us were there pushing boards, punishment workouts. Coach Jocks did not care who you were. If you didn't do what you're supposed to do, it was disciplinary actions for everybody involved. Everybody, another example, you know, he had Yachts time. We all set our clocks to what his clock was. It ain't, it, that's what it was. It was, if he says, if he said you got a six o'clock workout, you don't set your clock based on what any other factor of what your phone says. Yachts time was almost, it was like seven and a half minutes early. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, wasn't that easy to say, hey, he's 10 minutes early or he's five minutes. No, it was like seven and a half minutes. So everybody had to set their watch to him. And so when you start thinking about a strength and conditioning standpoint, my whole five years of being on campus, I was never big enough. I was always in the weight gain group. So Yachts had several guys that stayed in a weight loss group because they, you know, if we had one player, I remember he had gained like 25 pounds over Christmas break. He was one of our linemen. I mean, he, he, yeah, he, he could put it on. But anyway, so that particular guy was in a weight loss group always. For me, I was in a weight gain group. So the way that we monitored that throughout the process was if I came on, when I came on campus, I was 175 pounds. You know, Yachts was set a goal to say at the end of the summer, you know, you need to be up to 185. You got to gain 10 pounds. And over the span of each week, I would have to gain a pound to continue to hit that mark of where I needed to be for when that season kind of came around. Um, I guess the good thing, I like Coach Russell. Coach Russell was was a, an assistant on the staff when I was there on the Coach Yossel. I mean, I think he brought a different type of element from a strength and conditioning standpoint. He was, he was one of those new age strength and conditioning guys. Right. Innovative. Innovative, I guess you can say. But for me, you know, I always say, you know, if, if, if I got a 300-pound guy on my chest, I need to get the 300 pounds and lift it. I don't need no fancy way to do it. I need to get his butt off of me. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's just the reality. And I think, you know, Yachts really focused a lot on Olympic lifts. You know, Coach Yachts was a, a power lifter. I mean, he's, so he knew how to teach us how to be strong and get the most out of us. And that was kind of his his way of doing things compared to, I think, Coach Russell was a little bit more innovative. I think he fit more with what Gus was trying to do. Yeah. Mm. 
It's like we in your wheelhouse, Mike. I don't know if you're gonna take a swing or not. No, no, wait, well, we gonna go. We gonna go. <laughs> All right. So, uh, strength and conditioning. This is a big theme on our show. We talk a lot to our listeners about strength and conditioning, right? And you know, like you said, Yox was Old Testament. He was Old Testament wrath of God type of guy in the weight room. Um, you know, uh, talking about some of the interesting things you did, I remember at one point uh, while you were playing, uh, you, you talk about him teaching you Olympic lifts and how to get a 300-pound guy off you. I remember him taking the benches out of the weight room and saying, you don't play the game on your back, so you're not going to practice on your back, right? Correct. Uh, Yox used to say, if you're doing this, if you're on your back this much, you're getting your ass, <laughs> you're getting ass whooped. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So he would teach you guys how to move 300 pounds standing up. Uh, but you know, uh, we've interviewed quite a few of you guys and every one of you has an interesting story about something Yox had you do that still gives you nightmares to this day. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us what, what was that thing? What is your nightmare? What is your, uh, what is your 2021? One nightmare, 2021 nightmare that you still have because of something Yox had you do in the right weight room. Yeah, so I, I'll tell you. So, so my one thing that Yox killed me on. So back in 2000 and I think it was 2000. Whenever we played it in the Citrus Bowl that year, so it was my red shirt freshman year. I think it was 2002. Mm-hmm. And in that particular game, yeah, I broke my leg, so I had a non-contact femur fracture, and so I was on crutches for a while. Had surgery for a while. I, and being young, you know, I really didn't have the discipline that I needed. So a lot of the discipline that I learned that I still carry on through this day is what I learned from Coach Ox and Coach Witt, some of those older guys that were really, you know, big on in my life, instrumental to make sure I was disciplined. But but anyway, long story short, Yox had a thing, and I don't know if you've heard anybody say about pushing a board. Um, so yeah, so pushing a board, you know, the best guy you should ask Anthony Mix about it, but you know, Yox was <laughs> he would he was set a time. So it was it was basically, you know, gases you go have, you know, down and back, and he would set a time to say, Hey, you gotta get this done in let's say ten minutes. Where if you got really good and did it in ten minutes, the next time you got a punishment workout, I said, Now you gotta do it in nine minutes. Because you, you did it too easy last time. And so every time as you got better in it, he would reduce the time. So anyway, so I got in trouble in that meeting. And I, like I mentioned, I had a broken leg at the time. So I couldn't even really work out. So I'm like, man, y'all can't get me. I can't push the ball. I can't even run. I can't walk. So I show up one morning. I had punishment workout. I think I was late to a meeting or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, so so anyway, so I, I got it in that particular situation where y'all, I had punishment workouts. I show up that that morning at 530 for my punishment workout. So I was like, there's no way y'all's going to make me push the boards. So I get there in the meeting and he had put basically four four by fours together it was almost like a dolly that you buy from from home depot or lowe's that you put appliances on and that you can push it across your house when you're moving and he said basically at you're going to get down on your knees and you're going to slide across this thing like a skateboard and so i had to do i had to do my punishment workouts <laughs> just like i had previously but i was on a board sitting down on my knees since i couldn't run at the time uh yeah, Yas didn't play, man. Yas is like, if you got punishment workouts, you're gonna get it done. I don't care if it's a will, it's a way. And, and and so, like, when y'all start talking about toughness, that's the type of toughness that this guy had. He didn't care. He's like, dude, you hurt. I get it. I feel sorry for you, but you got you owe me some sets. So you're gonna get your sets in today, however you need to do. It. And keep in mind, like I mentioned before, he still timed him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he still timed. Like, yeah, you got to wow. go. I love that story, man, because I think it's it's one of those things when you um, 
when you dive into it, it like you said, it goes back to that first word you said, which is accountability. Like everybody's got to be accountable for their actions. So though you can't do it this other way, you still have something that's going to be, we, we need to get this in, man. So that's a beautiful thing. I'm going to shift gears for just a second and we can come back to this, but I do want to talk a little bit about your entry into the program. So like your recruitment, like what was that like? We haven't talked a lot to a lot of these guys about kind of um, what the recruitment process, but you were a little closer to Auburn. Uh, yeah. Some of the other guys we talked about uh, talk, have talked to in the past. They didn't really know anything about it. So were you familiar with the Auburn-Alabama rivalry? And, you know, kind of what was your recruitment process that brought you down into Auburn? <laughs> That's a really good question. And people are surprised when I when I give my answer. So, you know, my first Auburn football game, I was actually on the team. Thank you for listening to the War Report podcast. As we continue to grow, we're asking our community for help. So if you would like to support us, please visit the About section on our YouTube channel. You can also find the link on our Facebook page. We appreciate your support and War Eagle. You know, my first Auburn football game, I was actually on the team going through the tunnel. So that that's a little bit of my story. So for me, as I mentioned before, I was an undersized player anyway playing at SEC, but I played defensive end in high school. And yeah, I was fortunate. So my junior year, at the summer of my junior year, going into my senior year is where my recruitment process kind of started, where, you know, my coach in high school at the time, basically he took all his seniors and he said, hey, guys, we're going to go to these two-day camps up in different universities, and we want to try to get you guys some exposure. So the first camp I went to with him was he took us all up to UGA. And so for me, just, you know, just as you mentioned before, like mentality is like, what was the mentality? So when I went, I was a defensive end in high school. I ran track, you know, in off season because the coaches made us do something in the spring. I didn't know any better. The coaches said, you're not doing a spring sport, so you're going to run track. So I ran track every year. So we, we go to this, we go to this senior camp. And when I get to, to Athens, you know, we're getting ready to play against these recruits and I see the coaches from UGA looking at some South Florida guys. There's some wide receivers out there. Holly recruit and say, this kid right here, you know, he's the number one wide receiver from, you know, from Miami, Florida, blah, blah, blah. And I went to this particular camp as a defensive back based on size. So the first thing I did, I said, well, coach, I'm going against that kid. That's what I want to go against. If y'all looking at him, I'm going to go up against him. And so my whole philosophy at that time was I didn't know how to cover. You know, I was just athletic enough, but my whole philosophy was I'm going to get up, I'm going to do man press, I'm going to put my hands on him, and then he's going to have to run from the hell to get out <laughs> and run. And my philosophy, I just ran with him. And so we went through that camp, like I said, did some safety stuff, did some corner stuff. And at the end of that particular camp, UGA offered me a scholarship. You know, they came, my coach came to me and said, hey, you know, the University of Georgia liked what they saw from you, you know, this particular camp, they want to offer you a scholarship, you know, do you want it? What's the question that I was asked? And being me at the time, I had, hadn't had an offer from anybody. And he asked me, do I want a scholarship? I said, yeah, I'll take it. I, I thought if I said no, then they, they were going to take it away from me. So the next thing I know, recruiters are kind of calling me saying, hey, you know, you've committed to the University of Georgia. I didn't know what that meant at the time, if I'm being honest with you. But um, and so, you know, just so I committed to them, let's say in that summer going into my senior year, my senior year. I think I probably went to almost all the UGA home games my senior year being one of the recruits. It was me and another guy that I was in uh, high school senior with me, uh, Reggie Matfatten. He was, we both committed to UGA. He's a defensive back and I was, I was uh, a defensive end on our defense at Shaw High School and we both were committed to UGA the whole, that whole season. At the end of the season, I think Jim Dunnan in Georgia, they, they end up, he, he got fired, the coach got fired and, and during that process, 
you know, my recruitment was kind of opened up. Oh, one thing I didn't miss or didn't mention. So that summer too, I also went to the Georgia, I mean, to the Auburn camp, the same type of camp and Auburn offered me a scholarship, but it was after Georgia. And I kind of told the coaches at the time, hey, I've already committed. But it was, it was just competition. It was a competition mm-hmm. thing. They saw that Georgia had offered me, so they wanted to offer me too. Um, and so, like I mentioned, I was committed to, to Georgia for all of my senior year. We rolled around to January. They fired Jim Donnan. I opened back up my recruitment process. And that's when Tuberville and his crew really started, you know, recruiting me hard. And for me being in Columbus and all my family being here in Columbus, it was a 30, 45 minute drive over to Auburn. So I think it was a very easy decision for me to switch over to Auburn. And I'm uh, just happy that I did make that decision. So I want to stick with recruitment here for a second, um, uh, because this is kind of like a hot topic with the fans right now. Uh, you know, we uh, we switched coaches before National Signing Day and a lot of recruits jumped ship and there was a mad dash to keep recruits on board. So they got some surprise recruits. Can you talk a little bit about the importance that the coach played in your recruitment over the university? Right. Uh, something that I tell our listeners is, is that that student athletes primarily commit to coaches and not institutions. So you said Jim Donnan got fired and then you open back up your recruitment. You know, how important is that relationship with the coach during the recruitment and whether that kid goes to that school and sticks with that school? You know, I think that's a really good question because, you know, I feel like anytime you get an offer, somebody is believing in you. I think, you know, one of the things I heard Travis say most recently in one of his interviews, you know, recently and one, you know, I think when he was in Miami, actually, but somebody asked him, well, Travis, you're down in Miami now. You know, what do you think about how can you get five star recruits? And, and Travis philosophy in answer to that question was everybody I recruit is a five star in my book because I would not recruit them if I didn't feel like they can fit in my mm-hmm. system or what I'm trying to do. And, and I say that to say, I think that when a coach comes in and recruits you, you, you build that relationship, you build that rapport. That's your direct connection to the university. I think for me, as I, you know, as I started to visit campus, I did my official visit. I think it is something which I know it hurt Harson this year and our staff that we could not get kids on campus to get the, the feel of Auburn University because I think that's something that is special and I think it did hurt us this year. But, you know, you really got to have that connection to the people. And, and you know, I'm a, I know a lot of people hate the transfer portal, but I'm a big fan of it. You know, I'm, I'm, the, the, I'm probably, you know, the minority in that situation, but I think it gives people to have an opportunity to go where they feel like people want them. People want them. People 